This is the biggest parenting struggle in our country. It is gonna affect this generation like you have no idea. I get very frustrated at the idea of just screen time as this monolithic bad thing. And really it's about how can we make screen time actually really great and meaningful for kids. Hi, Faith here. Welcome to Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting, created by Munchkin, powered by innovation and designed to make parents' lives easier and more enjoyable, like this podcast. Screen time. Screen time is such a tricky topic, and even trickier during COVID as some people need to rely on screens with remote schooling or connecting with family. Today, we will look at screen time from different sides. Now, in my home, the kids don't have their own iPads. And what this means is that when I come back from a run in the morning, my children who wake up at the crack of dawn um, might have created an ATM out of construction paper. Um, and it makes sounds like doot, 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 and little six-year-old hands come out and thrust paper money at you. Or um, my daughter is currently working on a book called When a Dragon Marries a Unicorn. I'll keep you posted, it's a cliffhanger. And I'm pretty much convinced that if my kids were looking at screens in the morning, none of this would arise. I think that my kids' creativity and engagement in the world is in part fostered by the lack of screens in our home. This doesn't mean that they're perfect. This doesn't mean they don't fight. This doesn't mean that there's not a mess in our apartment from all the stuff they play with otherwise. But I'm curious, Justin, what is the screen situation in your home? Do you have kids who are looking at screens and now they're chess geniuses and my children will be working for them? Uh, yes, um, both of my kids are uh, Russian chess geniuses. So <laughs> in Russian, uh, yeah. In Russian, yeah. They only speak Russian. They, I, We shipped them to Russia. So that's where they're, they're busy. They're busy over there. Um, screens in my, I mean, it's hard. It's a hard thing because, yeah. you know, hey, we're on our screens yep. doing stuff. Uh, I'm in front of a screen right now. I don't want to spoil this. Um, so, I mean, we try to do it, like, find the balance of, like, doing the creative thing. And then after that, you get to do the screen thing or watch a movie or something like that. And often the creative time expands because they get into it. Yeah. So that's something, that's a strategy we're liking right now because it lets them get lost in the fun thing and then maybe forget a little bit about uh, watching the same movie they've seen so much that it's ingrained into our, a member of the family are the characters from. And is that Moana? What is the movie? Uh, it's Frozen. <laughs> okay. Um, we're into the Frozen, like, cinematic universe. There's all these, like, shorts. And it's like, I want to watch the one where she wears the soft dress. And it's like, okay, <laughs> I'll sort this out and find the soft fabric movie with Elsa in it. You know, I, th I feel like every single parent has this story of the first time their child went up to a TV, if some people still have TVs, and tried to swipe it, right? Oh, 100%. And, and I, <laughs> the other day, I was reading a book, and I, instead of, a physical book, and instead of turning the page, I put my finger on it, because I forgot it wasn't my Kindle. And, and that's so, what I think is crazy is we're like, oh my, my, I heard about this kid that doesn't, that tries to swipe magazine pages to change the page. And then we, we also do, do that. Exactly. We do it. Of course. Like, what do we think? We're so much better than these kids. They at least are aware of the difference. We, because I mean, I don't know, like, I feel like we grew up in a time where like technology moved along with us. Like, so all of this stuff happened to us and we are 
Which is catching up. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, screens aren't going away. Every family has to make, you know, family-specific decisions about screens that work for them. But we're all also wondering, what are we supposed to do, right? So, yes, Justin, yes, what it all comes down to is this. What are we going to do about all of these screens? Well, we're going to do our best to answer that question. We'll talk to Sarah DeWitt, who has spent 22 years working at PBS about innovative ways to educate our children in the digital age. I like to pronounce that word innovative because it's innovative. Um, We will hear your parenting confessions and a profound story about a family who faced an addiction to screens and dealt with it head on. So stay right here and just don't look at any other screens for the rest of this episode. Have you smashed your television and thrown away your iPhones yet? If you haven't, that's good. Because I am here with Sarah DeWitt, who oversees production and distribution at PBS Digital. She reaches an audience of 13 million kids a month and has won Webby Awards, Parents' Choice Gold Awards, Daytime Creative Emmy Awards, lots, lots of awards. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. To be, is it fair to say you're kind of an advocate for screen use for kids? Is that fair? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. We okay, can talk go, about the Yeah, go ahead and that. qualify that for, for us. <laughs> well, I think it's about, um, I, get, I get very frustrated at the idea of just screen time as this monolithic bad thing. And really, it's about how can we make screen time actually really great and meaningful for kids? I mean, that's what I'm an advocate for, that this is this incredibly powerful form of media. There's so much that kids can learn from it. Um, but we kind of approach it with this sense of fear mm-hmm. as opposed to what what's the what's the potential we can unlock here? What are the amazing things we can do with it? So I will confess, I'm more on the screen skeptic side. I'm much more um, for abstinence in our home. Um, okay. And I think lots of parents are like, thank you, Sarah. Tell me more. <laughs> so so to all of us, tell us, what what can we do to unlock kids' potential with screens? So think about, okay, so, and by the way, it's totally fine to be an abstinence, like, you know, screen time free home. And so P.S., I just wanna, like, P.S., that, out there. that would, like, nobody can be abstinent anymore, right? With remote it's, school and just ubiquitous screens, so. It's, it's hard, yes. Um, So if you think about like my own childhood, I was raised in a time when I was watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street and Electric Company. Those are kind of the the shows that were on when I was little. And if you think about all the things that you would still remember from those shows as an adult, like I still remember Mr. Rogers looking at me and saying, you're special the way you are. I still remember what those street scenes look like in Sesame Street and all those amazing, like watching Maria and Gordon and all those folks talking to kids and interacting with them um, as if they were important humans and not just these little people (laughs) to be ignored. So if you think about that potential for a visual to introduce a kid to a new experience or to a new thing, to show them a part of the world that they might have never seen before, or to make them understand a concept that's really hard to explain or really hard to read in a book. But if you see it, you immediately get it. Um, Those are the kinds of things that I think technology can do really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And the unfortunate thing, so this is where you'll get my screen skepticism. The unfortunate thing is that most screen time is developed for commercial purposes. (laughs) It's developed to make money. 
And so you're thinking about how do you keep a kid there as long as possible? So they see oh. as many ads or they click on as many things. And that's the, the paradigm I'd love to flip. I think that's so key. And I'm, I'm with you on that. One of the things I've heard you talk about is how parents can be a partner in their kids' viewing. Mm -hmm. And that's part of bridging this. Can you give us some guidance on that? Sure, sure. So one of my favorite pieces of research um, came out of Texas Tech University. It was um, in 2016, um, a professor, Eric Rasmussen, did a study where he was looking at empathy and whether television or games could help a child build empathy. And so he was studying the show, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Uh, which is a spinoff of Mr. Rogers. Uh, and so based on that same curriculum. And in that study, they determined that, yes, actually watching the episodes could help the child develop more empathy and, and think more about how someone else felt. Um, and then in the control group, they just had kids talking to a parent about situations. And those kids also developed more empathy when they were in this guided conversation with the parents. But the biggest gains were when the child both watched it and talked to the parent. Hmm. And so it was like, if a child watched this show and then had a conversation with the parent about it, their gains were greater. And this goes back to research that's been around for a long time. If a parent is watching with the kid, it's called co-viewing. Um, the co-viewing is hard to do. If you work full time and your kids, you know, need something to distract them, you know, you're in separate places. So what I loved about that Texas Tech study is he was saying, he wasn't saying that it had to happen at the same time. It could be asynchronous. So mm. you can have that conversation with your child at dinner and still get those same kinds of results. How do you personally balance screen time in your family? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of um, parameters that we put around things. First of all, um, American Academy of Pediatrics has some really specific things like no screens in the bedroom. That is a hard and fast rule in our house. You cannot take your tablet up the, sorry, the family tablet, the kids don't have their own tablets. So that's another thing. Um, screen time has to be in shared social spaces. Mm -hmm. It can't be something that goes into your bedroom. You can't ever do it um, late at night, like after dinner, no screens, because that light can keep kids awake. So that's a really real physiological response. Uh, and no screens at the dinner table. That includes the adults, because this is our time to talk and be together and to not be distracted by other things. Sarah, I really love how you highlight this double standard we have, which is that we use our phones constantly all day long. But the minute our phone or a screen gets in our kids' hands, we get stressed. So talk to me about that. So yes, there, there are so many ideas about screens being bad for kids. And so it immediately hits us, you know, like we just feel guilty about it. And so that's like a concern, but it comes back to again about how the parent is the one modeling the behavior. What we know about this phone is that this is the thing, this is the device that is gonna tell me how to get to the closest park so that we can play on the playground. But your child doesn't know that when you're just looking yeah. at it and scrolling. For all, you know, for all Ben knows, like I am just like You're playing more a game interested in a phone than him. Yeah. That's what he would wanna do right then. And so really thinking carefully about how and when you use your device and how you explain to your child what you're using it for. So, oh, 
I think we should go to a playground. I don't know if there's one around here because I don't know this neighborhood. So let's, I'm going to look at the map and this map is going to tell me where a playground is. You know, like you're modeling all kinds of really good things because they're going to learn about how to use screens from you. So how do you apply all this screen time knowledge to the way that you develop content for PBS? Well, you know, so at PBS, we are working with amazing producers like Fred Rogers Productions and GBH and uh, the Henson Company and folks like that um, to make content. And so they know that what we are looking for are things that are going to inspire passion in kids. They're going to want to learn more. Like kids love dinosaurs and dinosaur train is going to help them get so deep into all the different kinds of dinosaurs. And so we spent a lot of time with them thinking about how can you make this educational concept come alive in any kind of place that a kid is going to play with it. So on a video screen, when they're playing a digital game, is it going to help them uh, want to get out dinosaur books from the library? Is it going to help them play dinosaur in the backyard? We talked to our producers a lot about, we want this to inspire kids to play the show. And if they're playing the show, what is the thing they're going to be learning from that play? So trying to think about like, how does this joyful learning experience happen across any place that a kid might be playing with this idea or this property? Um, and that's really, that's fun. That makes work really um, joyful. It's creative. I love, I love that you just use the word joyful. <laughs> Sarah DeWitt, you are special the way you are. Thank you, Faith. <laughs> I like you just the way you are. <laughs> thank you. Virtual Zoom hug. I'm so glad we got to talk to you today. Thank you so much. And thank you for the good work you do. Thank you. Thanks so much. One anxiety a lot of parents have when it comes to screens is knowing how much is too much. Right now, I want to share with you the story of how one mother spotted her son's addiction to screens and found a way not only to help him, but to extend that help to people everywhere. Our correspondent, Fleece, has the parenting story of the day. Melanie Hempy is a registered nurse. She lives in North Carolina with her husband and four kids. Our story begins with our oldest son. His name is Adam. Adam grew up for the first 12 years of his life actually um, pretty normal, meaning that he played in the backyard, he got skin knees, he had a lot of friends in the cul-de-sac every day that he was playing with. But around middle school, he started getting very interested in video games. And it all started with a Game Boy, which if you're familiar with a handheld, you know, um, that, that was such a cute little toy that we gave our kids. And he got really good at it. And all the teachers at school said, oh, this is building your hand-eye coordination. And so all the moms jumped on and we all got these handheld devices for our kids. At the end of middle school, Adam started getting involved in online gaming. By high school in ninth grade, the school issued a laptop. And that was the beginning of sort of the, the end in a way. Because um, if you're a mom out there, if you're a parent out there, you understand what it's like to have to be the game cop mom at your house. And that means that, that you're setting the kitchen timer to constantly set the limits because they're playing too much. And, you know, they won't come to dinner. Um, Adam didn't even want to come to his sister's birthday party, you know, that was at the house. All these things were happening. And we were getting um, a lot of conflict in our home. And we just feel like we lost the battle. So I was so excited when he went to college because I thought that he was going to outgrow 
this silly little habit that he had that he was certainly going to start his life and just become the man that he was supposed to be. Adam went to college, and in his first semester, he was doing well. But something profound had changed when Melanie went to pick him up at the end of his first year. When I picked him up, I, I walked in the dorm, and he was a wreck. You know, you know your kids, and you know when something's wrong with them. But he was emaciated. He was, like, hadn't bathed in a week. He was sick-looking, and, but he wasn't sick. He said he wasn't sick. He said, no, I've been in bed for a week. Something happened to me. We got his things together. And when we were leaving um, the dorm, I said, well, why don't you say goodbye to your friends? And, and he didn't even know, he had no friends in the dorm. He didn't even know the names, the last name anyway, of the guys that he shared a suite with. So I'm shaking my head. I, I had no idea. How did this happen? How did he get so disconnected? Like, we got home and it, it just hit me. It, it was like all of this intuition that you have as a parent, it all kind of came crashing down at that moment. In the back of my head, I had this nagging sense that something wasn't right. And um, it's not normal for a boy to just sit in a room, in a dark room and play video games for five or six hours a day. I was convinced that he was learning code. I thought it was the best way for him to socialize with his friends. I thought if I delayed it or forbid it, that he would just binge and, and, you know, go crazy. I came home. He was on my sofa, you know, every day. And he said that he wasn't going back to school, that he was dropping out. Melanie started doing some research to find out everything she could about the phenomenon of gaming addiction. What I didn't understand um, earlier that I was learning was that there is a chemical phenomena going on in a kid's brain when they're playing video games or when they're on a smartphone. It happens to adults too, but because young brains are, are so malleable and because they're so immature, it's much more severe. And what it is, it's this, um, um, this chemical that is released, you know, the dopamine, all of the brain, the neurochemicals are released in the mid part of the brain, the limbic area of the brain. But the problem is because of their age and because of the nature of games today, because we're not, kids are not playing games like you and I played growing up. They're not playing Pac-Man. These are very interactive, immersive games that really trigger the limbic area in in their brains. And the fight flight systems get stimulated and the brain thinks that we're in a battle. We're trying to save our our life. I understand it very well now, you know, just from the medical um, aspect and from all the science, but I did not understand it then. Melanie knew that bringing Adam back into her home was essential. The next step was finding a way to get him help. What happened when, when I brought him home and he was on the sofa and I realized that, um, you know, the worst thing would be to have him just come back and live at home. And I know this sounds really bad. And I know if you only have, if you have young kids right now, you don't understand that there does come a day when your children need to launch and they don't need to come back home and start over. And so I called the military because I didn't know what to do. I knew that I couldn't have him just unravel his life and just come back home and live on my sofa. Adam served five years. He had... 14 weeks of a detox. It's called basic training. It was wonderful for him. Looking back, 
It was the best thing in the world. And knowing what I know now, that was really the only thing that was going to help him is to get that 14 weeks off and do a detox. What Melanie experienced with Adam completely changed the way she approached technology and parenting. When my daughter then came into high school, I thought, you know what? I'm not getting her a smartphone. If, if this is what happened to Adam <laughs> with a video game, I got to really think twice before I start handing out the rest of my kids all these screens. And um, around her 16th birthday, I met with some of my girlfriends. And these moms said, whatever you do, don't give her a smartphone <laughs> for her birthday. And I took their advice and we held off. And so she had a flip phone till she graduated from high school and went to school. And she actually did very, very well. She was a college athlete, full scholarship at a D1 school. So we don't feel like we missed anything by her not being on social media. Melanie started an organization called Screen Strong, dedicated to educating families about how technology and screen usage can affect their lives and relationships. And that's why we started Screen Strong, so we can educate parents on the science and then let them make these decisions for their own family. This is the biggest parenting struggle in our country. It is going to affect this generation like you have no idea. And so every day I wake up, I'm like, I got to get this message out there. I'm not worried about convincing everybody in the world. You know, if you don't agree with me, I don't really care. I want to feed the people that come to the table. I want to feed the parent that calls me to say, I think we're lost. I think it's too late. I want to say, no, it's not too late. Screen Strong educates families so they can reclaim their kids from these addictive screens and reconnect their families and get their kids back. Melanie continues to spread her message about the dangers of screen addiction today. For more information, check out ScreenStrong.com. Wow, that was intense. What a journey. Yes, yes it was. But a happy ending yeah. for the fam. Yeah, you know what I what I really admire about Melanie is her her willingness to to sort of share what she considers this big mistake she made as a parent and then kind of harness it to try to help tons and tons of families. Yeah, like uh, the way that she sort of like took something, well, two things. She like took something that was affecting her family and was like, I'm going to solve this, which is not an easy yeah. thing, not an easy choice to make because a lot of people yeah. are like, I'm out of ideas. And after that, she was like, and I'm going to help solve this for many, many other people. Yeah, who does that? I mean, most most people who are parents are too tired to do anything but try to solve their own family's problems. Exactly. Especially something that's wildly stressful, like this, like addiction to screens or video games, whatever you want to call it, like, whew, stress. Yeah, yeah. So um, so thank you, Melanie. You're, you're a special kind of hero. Her organization's website, ScreenStrong.com, offers great advice on ways to reduce screen time and reconnect with your family. So, so check it out. At Stroller Coaster, we're all about community. We love to hear from parents out in the world. So we have a little segment that we call Parenting Confessions, where we get to hear your stories about things that went wrong, things that went right, and anything in between. This week, we went to a perfect parenting hotspot, the playground. So have a listen to some of our favorite parenting confessions. You know what I do? I tell my six-year-old daughter to ask daddy for pancakes so that I can have pancakes. 
My son has this toy that it's a microphone and it's very loud and I took the batteries out of it and uh, I, then I told him it must be broken and uh, it's best decision of my life as a parent. My older son, he at Christmas time switched the name tags around to where he would get all the big gifts and his brothers and sisters would get all the small ones. And it's not like Santa could come back around and correct it, you know. He's really smart. Really smart. Got your own parenting confession? Please send it to us at podcast at munchkin.com. We'd love to hear from you. At Stroller Coaster, we love giving back. So we're giving away 10 Farrah Burpee Colic and Fever Rescue Kits. This must-have item for any new parent uses hot and cold therapy to naturally soothe a variety of baby ailments. The first 10 listeners to email the words colic cure to podcast at munchkin.com will receive a TheraBurpee kit of their own. That's the show. Thanks for taking the ride with us. And thanks to our guests, Sarah DeWitt, Melanie Hempy, our parents on the playground, oh, and Justin. Oh, sorry. I, sorry, I was looking at my phone. Um, what'd you say, Faith? Were, were you looking at yes, the software? Uh, yeah, Elsa? just doing some research. Yeah. Research. <laughs> You never stop dadding, do you? Uh, We have something very special coming for you. The very first episode of our storytelling podcast, Stroller Coaster Storytime. It's a short form podcast with a fun, creative take on your favorite children's stories performed by comedians and kids. You're going to love it. I want to thank Munchkin for helping us put this together. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can buy all your Munchkin products at Target. At Stroller Coaster, we're all about community. If you have a parenting confession you'd like to share, a question, a topic you want to hear, or a primal scream you just need to let out, don't hesitate to reach out to us at podcast at munchkin.com. And now something every parent can use, a timeout for yourself. We talked a lot about screens today, so let's take a moment and get away from technology as we travel to Nova Scotia, where the Whale Sanctuary Project, proudly supported by Munchkin, is working to create a place for captive whales to return to a natural environment. Here's the sound of a mama whale and her calf. Thanks, be well. We'll see you next week on Stroller Coaster.